From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm glad that we're back and uh, looking forward to this episode. Great to be back. I think this uh, conversation will be lively, like our last episode. Uh, how are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. I'm going to do better if I can pronounce our guest's last name, and I'm going to try that really hard right now. And it is Mark Kolawazinski. Did I get it? You got it. You nailed All it. Right. I made up for my first episode. If you didn't tune in, um, Mark was on our previous episode where you got to learn about his background, his start in AV, and uh, a really great journey that he's had. But welcome back, Mark. Mark's uh, one of the hosts of AV Super Friends, and we're glad to have him for another episode. Thanks for having me back, guys. I uh, really enjoyed that first one. And so hopefully we can elaborate further and dive deeper down that rabbit hole. Sure will. Sure will. So one of the things you touched on in the last episode, which I really like, is standards, um, standardization, how you can use uh, programming and your approach to programming to, to really simplify things. I think that you know, what we've learned about AV and we've also learned about um, trying to manage multiple rooms and multiple systems is the more you have one-offs, the harder it is to do. So um, uh, that that's my take on it. I've um, done a lot in this area and it's something that as a uh, somebody who is involved in a programming company, um, we, we really believe in and we try to, to promote to clients. But Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've done um, and um, how it's benefited you? Yeah. Uh, so the standards, I, I think are critical when we start talking about at scale. I think you nailed it, Steve. Like if you're trying to manage an army of one-offs, you, you're going to be pulling your hair out, like no matter what you're doing. Um, and, you know, if I work a lot on standards for like the hardware side, but also standards around the UI side and, and kind of what my vision of that really would be. I'm trying to simplify, 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 and make as elegant as I possibly can um, from that kit of parts. Right. And so I, I if I can get to a world where I have limited things on my shelf that I have to worry about, if I can go to a much simplified hardware set and then allow that to align and be reconfigured, however I want to design that through that to, to meet the needs of space, that's that's my goal, right? To not have random bespoke custom black secret boxes out there doing weird things. Um, so, but what does that mean from like the UI side, right? And the programming side. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of a journey here that a lot of folks may may kind of agree with or maybe they won't, but um, as we kind of moved in from, you know, switchers and things like that, of all these, you know, random secret black boxes out there doing things, we all had this kind of culture. We knew there was a kind of this unspoken rule, like we knew where computers plugged in. We knew where the document camera plugged in. We knew where the laptop stuff kind of plugged in. And as our group, we kind of carried those things. We had it kind of documented, but that also fell into our programming. Right. So we, we kind of had things that kind of laid out in this very specific way. Um, and it happened kind of how we deployed them through our classrooms over the years. So it, it was interesting to, to look back at our standard that we have from programming. And if we're, if we're doing kind of interlocking and things like that, where you can see, like you can see how we adopted technologies in rooms because they kind of came in that order. And it still sits there today because that's, you know, we still use those templates to move forward. Um, but it became more critical to the storytelling piece. And we started talking about this a little bit before in that our administration changed and they, they had this new fixation. They really wanted to be hyper aware of like what 
everything's being done, teaching, learning, and lab spaces. And they wanted to know how much you know, computers are being used, documents are being used, laptops are being used, how long systems are being used for, what are the hours? And, and so now we started asking all these questions. So what did that mean? And how could we deliver that information with what we had? We knew we had the data, but we had to make sure all of our naming was really clean. All of our numbers were really clean in a really chronological order and that they, we didn't have drift because rolling that up, you know, we're using fusion primarily on campus we have for years, um, but it becomes really, really important. And, and so you don't have dirty data, right? So we want to make sure we have clean aligned data that can tell that story really well. And it really starts right all the way back to the very first point of contact on whatever your UI is. Is it the right number? Is it the right name? Right? Because it, you're going to be held accountable for that all the way through, all the way up to your admin. And if you have these weird things that show up in that report, that you're going to get asked. And a lot of the, like the standardized pieces I'll do is about how do I reduce the inquiry back to us about like, well, can you clarify what this is? Or can you clarify what that is? So they're not having to have this, <laughs> these constant conversations from admin about what, you know, can you tell me more about this data or that data? So uh, we became hypercritical on making sure all of our stuff was named and numbered very cleanly based on, you know, spreadsheets that we developed years ago. And we still carry that. And it's kind of one of those things that, I don't know if most people that kind of tiptoe into programming ever even have their mind on that piece? Like, what does this mean to like the larger level of, of campus or organization? Most people are kind of looking at like what's just directly in front of them, this classroom, this conference room, whatever it is. But understanding that's part of a larger organization, one for support, you know, it ties into our support desk. Those links all had to be accurate, named the same way. They're looking at us, our admin, our money comes from there. Our story has to be told. So they want, they want to know and whatever we can do to tell that as clean as we possibly can becomes all based on that standard, right? If I had a bunch of one-offs, I could never tell that story in any <laughs> linear way. It would just be, I have an army of random things out there and they're all doing who knows what. And so um, we became really aware to, to make sure that you know, wherever we can make sure that a standard approach has been adopted and deployed. Have you ever been able to measure and quantify the benefit that you've gotten from that, because I think that that would be really powerful. Um, we know a lot about usage. We know a lot about uh, when things are you know popular being used, and we can also forecast you know trends that we see you know in BYOD things like that. And I think that's been really important because it is directly tied to how we're funded, right? And that. Uh, we've, we, the classic example everybody's goes, oh, we're using DVD players, right? Well, we were able to show like, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not using DVD players. And that was a really easy um, set of numbers to give. So we collapsed, it's gone. It's no longer in a classroom. We don't need it. Um, so those types of things are, are, are really critical. But now we're starting to think a little bit differently. And it's not necessarily just sources. Um, you know, we, with new tool sets, we're starting to get um, smarter locations. So now we can start to see like what is... What's going on in the room at large? You know, uh, we have a project here called the Geometry of Learning, and we're actually starting to see how technology is deployed in space with the, the room to see where that correlates to grades, right? So now we're talking about technology accessibility to students in the classroom, to faculty, as it correlates directly to the outcomes of teaching and learning. And so all of our systems are kind of building in that in that direction. So they're all, they all have to communicate and aggregate the data from programming to you know endpoints being managed the same way that we're all moving that data so that we can know that what we're doing is one benefiting students and not being a detriment to teaching and learning right and so it's um 
it's kind of realignment and kind of honing everybody to move in the same direction together to tell that story. And, um, and it can be simple things too. It can be just like seating, right? <laughs> or lighting controls, uh, but everything is data now. Uh, the, the students in the room are data, not necessarily what's on their devices, but them themselves. You know, the sensing capabilities that exist in space, uh, their cameras and things like that, counting. Uh, so we're, it, the data set's much larger than just kind of what's chosen to be used in a space now. It's that the rooms themselves are kind of alive and are, are machines that are aggregating larger data. So um, it's a, a much larger conversation than it once was. That, that I mean, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> and I know I'm, I'm going to um, have James jump in on this. Is we, We've... Uh, we often talk about how everything underlying is programming, and, um, and and this is a good example of where programming not only can make a room work and is a necessary part of it, but it but adds all that value. If it wasn't for programming, you wouldn't be able to have these types of things. Um, how how do we make more people aware of that, James? Um, conversations like this, uh, having folks like Mark who brought very good points in this conversation here uh reaching out to our contacts and showing the value that programming brings and how important we can build on it like if mark wasn't able to provide data valuable data to the institution they couldn't do what they're doing they can't move things forward and you can't just provide data to provide data. It has to be valuable data, data you can understand. Um, so I, I think what Mark is doing is excellent and refreshing to hear from that, especially in the AV world. Could be no standards in AV is pick the one you want to go with. Everyone has their own. And it has been a pet peeve of mine um, from day one with AV. So it's refreshing to hear others starting to uh, – Get on his uh, standard bandwagon. I have not done what Mark done yet, but I back when I was programming in AMX, I in my mind I had a standard of okay, this is what my touch panel was. This was what like all I had those standards. Nothing was formally written, but again, I was the only real programmer on staff. Here, I haven't developed that standard yet, but I'm thinking I might steal this from Mark. And it's really critical to kind of adopt like the best you can at large, right? And so when we think about you know what we do in teaching and learning space, it's it's empathy primarily, right? And so if you have a, a room full of four hundred students there, and that instructor shows up, it needs to be like super intuitive how to operate that system, right? They may or may not have showed up in advance to do it, but what they're doing is the brand of that university. If they're up there fumbling around, having to do tricks and all these widgets and all that crap, the students know, right? They know where their money is going. You know, they're transient. They can vote with their dollars and their feet. They're going to go. So what you're doing programmatically to deliver an elegant experience for that instructor to do what they do best without having to like have a secret code and all these weird things and bespoke training things to learn how your nomenclature, it needs to be very intuitive and very easy. And that's you're tied directly to that mission of that campus right and so you know from a programming standpoint if you have something that works and you know it works well why reinvent it document it get it standardized bake it in deploy it so one you can train around it and build documentation around it so that you can better support everybody right and so um and it all starts with just 
being intentional, right? And, and, and understanding that we're all there trying to meet the needs of that organization. One of the questions that I'm sure comes up and, and that I, I know that I faced is that you, when you, when you're developing something like this, I'm sure you're, you're trying to think big picture. You're trying to think about all the what if scenarios, but planning for change and flexibility is, is critical. Um, how, how have you done that? And what, what's been maybe some of the experiences that you've had? Um, we talk about that kind of even, you know, where can we expand in this design, in this development for the programming, right? You know, do we have the ability to easily add, um, and working with, uh, Jason, my programmer here, uh, a lot of times when we know a room is capable of doing a lot of different things, we will intentionally put some hooks in our programming, even from the, the, the button panel or, or touch panel and a logo and icon a button, we'll have them there, but we'll suppress those up front. Right. And so, but we know the back end is there. If we know we can add a source or two sources or whatever it may be, if it's highly likely, or we're going to add a camera or whatever that may be, we'll adopt that standard kit. We'll put it in there, but we just won't have it enabled at the UI level yet. Right. And so, um, acknowledging that change is going to happen and people are going to ask for new feature sets. So, kind of baking some of that into your, your standard approach and saying, okay, this is where I know I can add sources really easy, or I can add an output, or I can add, you know, a camera and some presets. And, you know, maybe I want additional audio control. Know what those things are and kind of as modules. And we've gotten to the point where here's our audio folder, boom, take the audio folder, drop it in. Here's our camera folder, put the camera folder in there. And then you're kind of just adding those pieces. Um, we've kind of made it so we're kind of stitch those pieces back together. And, and, and not to take anything away from a, a programmer, but we all will like copy and paste and steal our own stuff. So why reinvent this wheel every time we go about it? So uh, anyway, you can find that efficiency because um, it's the paper trail. It's kind of the, the reference in just knowing that you need to be able to expand it. So be intentional and make it so that you're not backing yourself into a corner when that time does come. That's exactly, I think that's a great point because I, I say that often is that we have to design our systems and we have to design our approach so that making one little seemingly small change doesn't blow it all up because nobody quite understands what, what that is when, uh, if, if you get yourself backed into a corner, as you mentioned. Um, James, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this in terms of uh, the, um, are we talking now about maybe having some people that build standards and other people who deploy them? Is the are we looking at more more specialties in terms of programming, where where you can look at a, a senior programmer, let's say, who is is building these um, the the model and the and the junior programmer who's just setting it all up and putting it in the field? Is that um, something that you think is feasible? Um, is it something that's feasible? Yes, I, I do think it's feasible. Am I seeing it? I don't think I'm seeing it as much as we should be seeing. Because, um, I mean, sounds like Mark might have one other programmer on his staff. Currently, right now, I'm the only programmer on my staff. I'm not even programming. I know a lot of schools, they tend to only have one person who is doing the whole work. So having that, okay, here's we're, we're setting the standard and everyone else is following through is, it's really, they're setting their own standard and then it's all housekeeping on them to make sure that they're following through on it. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm actually seeing it, but hopefully we will. I think here, um, all of our basic technicians will go through level one. 
right? And that just so that we can kind of go and touch back on that empathy thing, they understand what's going on, right? And so, you know, if if there's a problem somewhere, and it may be perceived that oh, it's programmatically not doing this, they can double check that, right? And it's easy to say oh, it's a programming thing, but if it's not, if it's hardware, it's layer one. They shouldn't understand what it means to troubleshoot that back and say no, this is not a programming thing. Programming is fine. Turns out it's just this or our cabling thing. Um, but it also acts as kind of like that Rosetta Stone. Everybody knows the language. Everybody knows how these things are communicating, and they all have a little bit of programming chops they can do. So that if nothing else, they don't use that. Oh, it's a programming problem. Get out of jail free card. Like no, like you need to go and make sure like that it's not a programming problem because odds are it's probably not. And then you know then we can come back around and then they understand how to take that if it is a programming issue, identify it and, and start having that communication. We all we always hear about oh it's AV and IT people, but within AV it's, itself, the programming to like technician language is really important too. So we all are referencing and using the same dialogue, um, and, and I think that goes into it. Making sure that everybody has at least some understanding of how all of our systems are communicating is really important. It sounds to me like you're you're building a lot of confidence in your in your model and your solution so that when it is being used you know, it should work a certain way. And if it's been tested that way in the past, it should continue to work so that, like you said, you're, you're not pointing fingers, rather ruling out what the, the variables could be. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as everything becomes more and more converged, you know, that language becomes really critical. All the, the trainings and all the, the overlap and capabilities become really, really important just so that we are, we are all functioning as a team and we don't have kind of blind spots in our organization and everything is, is at least transparent. So million dollar question, and we're, we'll use this as, to wrap up with is why aren't more people doing this? Why, why is this, um, why, why is this um, something that seem, to me, it seems obvious, but, but why, why do more people not do it? I think it's probably a bit intimidating for folks to know where to start, right? And you're talking about building a team, showing building knowledge and building confidence. And, but it also starts at the leadership level of our organizations. You know, are they asking the right questions? Is, you know, is the AV piece of what we do part of the larger mission or is it more just mechanical and just part of a utility? Um, and, and, it kind of pick your leaders wisely in your organizations so that they understand and, and be a part of that the data story because i think that's where it all right, comes from is that you are tied we are all tied to kind of the, the mission and vision of our organizations um but start right if, if you don't see your organization you know you're doing these steps and kind of taking this on and do it that should be like your your opportunity to take some action um you know, what can you do? What can you do to, for your, your professional development to learn more? If you want to do more programming or have uh, at least more awareness, like there's easy ways to go get exposure to some, some pieces. Learn the language and, you know, and then build some confidence within ourselves. Like be, be that change you want to see. And if you want to start doing more of these things, like go after them and, and start building your organization and take people with you along the journey. Don't do it all by yourself. I think Mark, Mark brought up some good points there. Um, I will also add I, I think he's missing a key element here is i also think part of our problem is the av industry as a whole um we don't have true standards everyone has their own way of doing things and so i mean they come from the it world and i'll i use this example a lot i know it's not programming but 
If I take a Cat5e cable, it doesn't matter what manufacturer I get that from, it's all the same color eight pairs. But I got thrown into AV, I started working on XR, I take my first cable, I cut it open, I go, oh, red, white, and black. I find my hot, my common, my transmit, great. Take the next cable, open up, blue, brown, yellow. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Like, there is no standard. So, if as an industry as a whole, if we can't do simple things to standardize our colors of our cables, what do we expect, like, our communication between equipment or our programming or even the higher level things to be standardized? That's my pet peeve that I'll step off my soapbox now because I've been talking about from day one. No, it, it is everything, right? And that's always joke. Oh, we have 10 standards. Oh, there's a new one, right? So, um, but you got to start, right? You got to, and I think it really starts at the infrastructure. We we focus a lot of our, our staff development now just on OSI, right? Just the model so that we can all understand because that OSI is going to start to inform you like who delivers service, on, on your campus and your organization. You know, the adage I use is, is data at rest, data in motion. Every time that data is moving, it's somebody's job. Whose job, right? And so, uh, and kind of moving your staff to think more digitally, you know, whether it be from a button or a touch panel design, all the way through up to the reporting from our admin that yes, we had, you know, 85% success in our teaching and learning spaces with grades this year. Do we know why? Do you know that data story, right? And that we are part of that. Um, and where we can use standards and, and adopt, the better off we're all going to be. And I'll just throw in that I think that to, to you know, if, if we look at what is the the compromise or the happy medium is that a standard doesn't have to be perfect and a standard doesn't have to be all encompassing as long as we all commit to it. And and I think and and stay consistent. I think that that to me is what I've seen where if, if we're going to do it this time and not the next time, then all of a sudden it, it, it's not going to be effective. But if, we, if we're investing in it, I think that's where we're going to see the return. Absolutely. You know, and for us, it, it, it is really tied to the success of the students, but also the success of our students who are supporting those spaces, right? You know, that was probably one of the most critical pieces of why we need standardization is just so that we could have a support desk that is actually <laughs> functioning. And, and, you know, it's not just the help desk for campus at large, but the presentation support desk that we've built around in that culture, um, having common approaches so that our students who staff that know what it is they're assisting with. We can tell them like, here's how it's configured. Here's how it's programmed. Here's how it's put together. Um, again, going back to having you know, 500 random one-offs out there that would, that support us would fall apart immediately. Absolutely. And, and just maintenance and upgrading could, would just be astronomical, the, the, the effort involved. Um, well, this is a great place for us to stop, Mark. Thanks for being with us. And if you didn't catch the previous episode, episode 150, you can get a little bit of Mark's background from Oregon State University. Um, but Mark, thank you again. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, learn what you're up to, learn more about the AV Super Friends podcast and anything else that you wanted to promote? Yeah, you can catch AV Super Friends on 
pretty much every platform you're digesting podcasts on. You can go to absuperfriends.com. Check us out there. If you want to correspond and send us any emails or questions you want to come on our show, feel free to drop us a line there. Uh, you can catch me on X at AV Diplomat as well. I do chime in from time to time or LinkedIn. I'm Mark Kolowazinski. Um, it's just like it's pronounced. So just <laughs> jam a bunch of letters in there. It'll, it'll come up at some point. Um, and you can search me out on the Googles. I will, I will pop up somewhere. If you get close, it'll, it'll be there. But yeah, listen to the show and um, I'm glad I was on your guys' show. It's a good time. Yeah, appreciate you being here and uh, we look forward to having you on again. Uh, James, how can people get in touch with you, learn what you're up to and uh, get any final thoughts that you have? Uh, for final thoughts, this was another great episode with uh, Mark and uh, I'm glad he was able to join us. And again, you can Google me, you'll find me. I'm out there. Ensign uh, Hepma, AV underscore James King on X, uh, LinkedIn. Again, I'm out there. You'll find me. And for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media, my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. And uh, as James said, please uh, check out our, our show and uh, and let us know what you think and send us a, 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 a comment and a review. And uh, I'd love to get your feedback and learn more about what you want to hear. Um, so please uh, reach out to us at uh, AV Programmer Pod on the on Twitter or formerly known as Twitter. And uh, you can catch the show on your favorite podcast player as well as on YouTube. And uh, that's what we have for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer.